Thank you, Julia. Appreciate you. I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas. Good amount. Yeah, no, nobody had a wonderful Christmas. I love how Chicago switched weather with Halloween and just, just Christmas and Halloween kind of swapped this year. Um, we, we enjoyed it. We were on the fence on whether or not uh, to take my daughter out of the house and go to my uh, families. And, and, you know, when you're married, you have to go to both families. But uh, praise God, we decided to do it, and we had a wonderful time. And, um, you know, people keep asking, how are you doing? How's everything going? And it's like, yeah, it's great. And how's the baby? She's alive. That's 90% of my job, and so we're excited, and that's good. But um, the one thing I was noticing, especially during the holidays and even just at her birth, is this girl is going to have a ton of pictures. Uh, my father-in-law alone has literally taken over a thousand pictures of her, and that was like in the first day. Um, and then uh, my father, he's notorious for almost any event that we're at, any birthday, any holiday, anything where the family's together, he's always saying, tomalo una foto, hey, hey, take a picture. And, and I remember thinking, why? Because all these pictures just stay on my phone. You never see them again. Like, you asked me to take a picture, and then it's just there. And, and I remember even growing up, we literally have a jewel bag uh, somewhere in my parents' house filled with disposable cameras that were never developed. There are these wonderful mystery pictures somewhere in the house because we always had to take a picture. And, and again, I think the reason why my father always wanted pictures was because it's important uh, for him especially to have memories, to, to be able to look back. And, and even now as I'm getting older and, and I look at some of my old baby pictures and I see the similarities between me and my daughter and, and I'm looking back at, at my wife's baby pictures. I mean, it is fun to stop and, and just remember I feel like the next generation might miss out on that, though, because no one's going to sit there on a laptop and just scroll through all your old pictures. There was something special about having a book that you just kind of opened up and you just kind of flipped through it systematically. Now, God loves remembering things as well. He has a book of remembrance, and uh, he was always adamant about telling his people to remember. I think part of that is because we so easily forget you know, we're getting at the end of, of the decade now, right? We're getting at the end of this year and all over television, all over media and social media and, and radio and everything, you're having people saying, hey, uh, remember this this year, remember this last decade. And they even have like what you looked like at the beginning of the decade and what you look like now. And, and that's all sad for everybody. And it's just like, it, it might as well be, look how much weight I've gained between that point and this point. And, um, but we're, we're having this time right before this new year where everyone starts to get a little nostalgic and they start to reflect on this past year. And I think that's important, not just to do at the end of the year, but I think it's important to periodically take a moment and remember. But it's important what we remember because most of us are really, really good at recollecting and remembering things that affect us in a negative way. We're really good at thinking of all the negative things, all the things that didn't go the way we planned, all the things that didn't happen, all the things we didn't accomplish. We, we can easily recollect, and sometimes to our own detriment, we easily recollect everything that went wrong in this past year or in this past decade. But God doesn't tell us to remember those things. God reminds us to remember him, to remember the things that he has done, to remember the things that, that he provided for you. You know, I, I read a quote that said, sometimes you will never know the value of a moment until it becomes a memory. Right? Think about this. Think about how many minutes we've lived, how many days we've lived, how many of those we've lived, and yet how many of them we actually remember. 
We only remember key moments, good or bad, but key moments. We only remember pivotal aspects of our life, things that, that had an impact on us. And I wonder how much more impactful life would be if we took the time to remember more of the good things as opposed to some of the bad things. In the Bible, when you read the Old Testament, uh, you kind of follow throughout the entire Old Testament uh, the people of Israel, God's chosen people. And, and it's an interesting follow because a lot of it mirrors our lives. And one of the characteristics that you often see in the nation of Israel is they were very forgetful about the good things God did. It, when, you, when you look at the story uh, starting in, in Exodus, when they come out of Egypt, the Bible tells us that they were slaves in Egypt for several, several years. And God sends Moses and, and he, he sets his people free and he parts the Red Sea and miraculously rescues all the nation of Israel, takes out all of their enemies. And then the Bible tells us that for 40 years they wandered the desert. And God provided for them throughout the entirety of the 40 years. Now, again, let me remind you, the only reason that they had to be reminded of those uh, or why they had to wander for those 40 years was because instead of remembering that God set them free from Egypt, they complained about wandering the desert. <laughs> and so they wandered longer, right? Isn't that how parents are usually? Like, when you complain, we just make you wait longer for complaining. So, and God kind of did the same thing. And then we get to this point in Joshua chapter 4. Where, where 40 years have passed and God has finally taken them to the promised land. And, and right before they get into the promised land, they have to cross the Jordan River. And the Bible says that there's this miraculous moment that God does. Moses at this point is gone. Joshua has been raised up as the next leader and they're at the precipice of the river. And the Bible says that the Lord parts the river and allows his people to cross over. This is the, the precipice of this next stage in their life. This is like the, the end of the old year and the beginning of the new year. This is the beginning of greatness, of the fulfillment of his promise, uh, uh, of great victories to come. And I want you to notice some things here in Joshua chapter 4. I want you to see uh, what uh, God instructs Joshua to say. It says, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord, uh, Joshua said to, or the Lord said to Joshua, now, choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up a stone and carry it out on your shoulder. Twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one from each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they had camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. They had this incredible miracle happen. This, these waters literally parted, and, and the, the bed of the, of the ground became dry, and they were able to walk across. And, and before they finished, uh, God instructed Joshua to tell the people to set up a memorial, to remember this moment. And so they took 12 stones, one from each tribe, and, and they set up this reminder. 
And I want to talk to you about that because as I read this story, I feel like there was three particular people that needed reminding. And if you're taking notes, the first thing that I noticed and that the Lord kind of brought up to me was the, the importance of our reminder. And by our reminder, I mean corporate remembrance. Together, this collective body. See, church, we need to take time as a church, as Belmont Assembly of God, to remember the things that God has done in the body. And, and it's important in this precipice to, to understand that we are part of that body. If you notice in that scripture, God instructed that each of the 12 tribes had to get a stone. The nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes. Those tribes were made up of families. Those families were made up of individuals. Individually, those stones remain stones. They're, they're not a monument until they're put together and piled up. And for me, I think it's important as a church for us to take time and reflect and remember what God is doing in and through us as a church. Uh, with our leadership team and the youth, we gather together once a month for our own leader meeting to build and grow as, as leaders and as people that God called us to be. And we start every meeting with what we call our wins. And we sit in a circle and, and we give time for everybody to share what God has been doing in the ministry throughout the last 30 days. And one by one, you hear story after story, and, and, and the beauty behind everybody sharing is you get to hear things that maybe you didn't see because they didn't happen in the service. Maybe this happened as an encounter you had with a young person uh, out when you took them out to Starbucks, or, or this is something that's been going on over months and through text messages, and, and here we all get to celebrate and we all get to be reminded that God is doing wonderful things in the ministry because we shared our wins together. And I think the importance of, of corporate memory, the importance of, of these corporate reminders is to remind you that we're all a part of this. See, I, I cringe a little bit whenever I hear somebody say to me, hey, you guys should do this. Because when I hear you guys and I don't hear we, it tells me that you feel there's a separation, that I'm somehow representative of the church and you just come and watch me perform. And we need to understand the church is not the building, it's the people. We are the church. And the more we's you have, and the more buy-in you have, and the more you understand that. See, the wins don't matter to you if you don't feel a part of it. Right? I'll be honest, man. This season, football made me sad. The Bears were breaking my heart left and right. And, and, and the last game, honestly, the last game I was like, wow, I'm like genuinely sad right now. <laughs> Like this, I don't know why I feel this way. I'm not, I'm not making a dime off of them, you know, I'm like, but I'm like, I'm hurting. Why? Because that's my team. Like, I just feel like that's, I have a jersey, you know, I don't play, but I have a little jersey. I feel like that's my team. I feel like I have buy-in on them. Like, I, I'm there every Sunday, I'm participating, I'm cheering, I'm yelling, I'm reading up. I, I feel like I'm a part of it, even though the reality is I have no participation in it whatsoever. And yet, we need to understand that as a church, you're not just a fan. You're an actual player on this team. And so when, when the youth ministry wins, we win. When the children's ministry wins, we win. When, when the church is doing wonderful things, that means we are doing wonderful things. Not the place that you visit, but the place that you are a part of. <laughs> it's interesting what Joshua is doing in this moment because it echoes the warning that Moses had given the tribe of Israel when he brought them to the Jordan River. Think about this. Moses led them up until the point where they got to the precipice of the Jordan River, but it was Joshua who crossed them over. Moses had been wandering with his people for 40 years. Moses knows his people. 
right? He knows his people. Uh, somebody was asking me about uh, my daughter, and, and uh, I was, as before I left, I was hearing her crying, and I'm like, she's not hungry, she's gassy. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm pushing her legs, trying to get her to pass gas, and, and, and she gives me like three good farts, and I'm like, that's, that's my job now. My, my, as a man, it's to, to make this two-week-old pass gas. But you know what's cool is she's only two weeks old. I already know what her hunger cry is and what her gassy cry is. Why? Because I'm their parent, right? Moses knows his people. Moses knows how they are. And here's what Moses does in Deuteronomy. He spends a lot of these chapters telling them, hey, guys, remember. Remember this. Remember, why? Because I know you're going to forget. But remember this. Listen, Deuteronomy 7, verse 17 through 19. Perhaps you will think to yourselves, how can we ever conquer these nations that are so much more powerful than we are? Remember, the promised land was already taken by people. People inhabited that promised land. They had to go in there and take the land that God promised them. But he says, but don't be afraid of them. Just remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all the land of Egypt. Remember the great terrors the Lord your God sent against them. You saw it with your own eyes. And remember the miraculous signs and wonders and the strong hand and the powerful arm with which he fought or brought you out of Egypt. The Lord your God will use the same power against all the people you fear. What is he saying? He goes, guys, guys, listen, don't be afraid. Just remember, God was faithful then. He's going to be faithful again. When you come up against the giants in this land, when you come up against the walls of Jericho, when you come up against these varying enemies, the Hittites and, and the Shuites and, and the other ites, when you get to these guys, remember, I conquered mighty Egypt. This is nothing. We, you're fine. And listen, as a church... If we're going to go into this next year and we're going to take time to fast and pray and, and, and January is going to be all about recalibrating and helping us all understand who we are to be as a church, it's important to understand that if we're going to conquer giants, if we're going to take new territory, if we're going to be everything God called us to be as a church, we need to remember that God has been doing it for Belmont for over 100 years. We need to remember that this has been a lighthouse on this street for over 100 years. And even in this past year, Pastor gave me just a few little things. I was like, Pastor, what are some of the, uh, the accomplishments we've done as a church in the past year? And listen, this is just a snippet, but from a practical standpoint, just structurally, we painted this entire sanctuary. We carpeted the stage. We modeled the backdrop. We completely renovated the men's and women's bathroom. Thank you, God. We even added handicap accessible doors, built a new nursing room. My wife and daughter, thank you for that. We remodeled my old office at 6120, which had the original carpeting that came with the building and leaked and was an, an ugly little thing. Now it's dropped it gorgeous as our new media studio, and uh, Kirby and Jonathan are up there having the time of their lives, and they stuck me in the basement. <laughs> Speaking of media, we were able to hire Jonathan on our team, which helped us immensely. <laughs> we were able to update our website, create new audio platform on uh, podcasts with Apple and Spotify. We were able to start our new weekly video announcements, which included our puppet one today. <laughs> now, listen, a lot of you might think, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual, Pastor. It doesn't seem like God was doing mighty things, but it really is. I was thinking about this the other day. Have you guys been to the uh, Cinemark in Melrose Park lately? Yeah. You remember how nasty that theater was a while ago? Like, Broken up seats. I hadn't been there in years. I'm like, that place is ghetto. Like, I, ain't, I ain't trying to go to no ghetto spot. You go there now, whoo, they got them nice seats. 
reclinable with a little heater on. It's like, okay, Cinemark, I'm coming back. Like, I see you. Well, listen, what do you think happens when you prayerfully consider and, you, and you're fighting and you're begging your friend to come to church and they finally say yes and they walk into this church and they go, hey, listen, before we go in, I got to use the bathroom. And they go into the bathroom and it smells like urine and it looks old and it's all disheveled. They're not going to want to be a part of this. Oh, but, but that's being superficial. Well, who do you, where, where do you think they're coming from? They're not spiritual yet. <laughs> they only have the superficial to see. If, if you come in and, and, and everything's disheveled and everything's unorganized and everything's out of order, who would want to be a part of that? But when you come in and you see a beautiful facility, when you bring your children and you see this brand new building that's clean, that smells good, with great workers, you are comfortable with saying, I trust my child in this environment. I, I, I feel comfortable here. Or if nothing else, at least you don't notice the bad things. That may not seem spiritual to you, but if that means somebody is willing to sit and hear the gospel, then it's spiritual to me. Now, for those of you who need a little bit more than that, because I do believe how we present the gospel matters, especially in this world where they're actively fighting for people's attention. But nonetheless, let me give you a little more spiritual things. We saw dozens upon dozens of people received Christ as their Savior this year. We had 22 people water baptized. We saw 36 new members added to our roster as a church. We had an average of over 600 people come every week to this building to hear Jesus Christ. We're doing things. But we could do more. We, we can grow. We can expand. We can do the things that God has called us to do in this community. But in order to do that, we have to remember this. We have to remember that God has remained faithful to us. We have to, listen, there's times for me with the youth ministry where I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I, I remember there were days where we had so many more students. And I think, but wait a minute. We have consistently been around 15 to 20% of our church size for the last 12 years. That's unheard of. In, in, in youth ministry alone, but in our city, that's unheard of. And I can count on my hands how many youth ministries do what we do. Now, I'm not saying that to boast, not in myself or in our own work, but to say, God, you've been doing it. And because you've been doing it, I know you can do it. Church, it's, it's important for us to understand, these aren't my victories. These aren't Pastor Carlos's victories. These are our victories. Yeah. Well, I didn't remodel the building. Yeah, but your tithe did. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Well, well, I didn't set up the, the, the media thing. Yeah, but you provided a way to do that or you served on that capacity or you served on the leadership team or you served in, in the doorways and you allowed people to feel welcome, not just the look of the place, but the look of you. We are doing something great and we can do more, but it's important to remember that God is already doing it in us. Now, if that's not enough, I notice in this story, not only did they have one uh, tribe of each tribe of Israel come in and set up a monument, you notice the Bible says that Joshua then takes 12 stones himself and sets it up in the Jordan River. And I think this is interesting because he sets it up right in the river. So uh, as soon as the Lord is finished, the waters are going to rush back and they're going to cover the monument. So why set up a monument there? Well, I think it's because of this, because Bodies of water, especially rivers, have low tides and high tides. They have seasons of drought and they have seasons of plenty. In those seasons of drought, the water line is going to drop. And listen, in these times, particularly in those areas where they depended on those bodies of water, they didn't have the kind of water systems we have now. 
A drought is a very serious thing. It can cause death to an entire nation. When those waters would drop, when that drought would come, guess what's going to be revealed? The monument. In those moments where things seem low, they're going to be reminded that God is still high. Joshua set this up for himself. It's important for you and I to not just have corporate reminders, but personal reminders. My reminder. What has God been doing in my life personally? God has been good to me, specifically to Pastor Joey. God has been good to me. My wife and I, this year, were able to take uh, our dream vacation to Japan, and uh, it was my wife's dream forever. Uh, actually, a few uh, long before that, I had given her uh, a pin for every country she had visited in her life. It was her, our anniversary gift, and I gave her a Japan pin as an IOU. I said, one day, I don't know when, but one day, I'll be able to take you there because I know you've always wanted to go. And by the grace of God, we were able to go in April. God blessed me with uh, several uh, opportunities to preach outside of the church and uh, to do several events and several camps which uh, provided financially for some of those things. And uh, on top of that, opened the door for me to be able to do what God has called me to do. We saw great health and success in all of our ministries. And obviously, we saw the birth of our first child. God has been wonderful to me. Does that mean I didn't have difficult times? Of course not. Does that mean we didn't go through hardships? We absolutely did. But I choose to remember the good things more than I dwell on the bad things. See, it's important to remember, particularly with these, it's important to remember that none of those things were because of me. That our dream vacation didn't happen just because we saved well. I mean, God opened amazing doors, like, uh, like Pastor Tom and Libby inviting us along on that trip. And, and if you've never, listen, I'm, y'all can't take my stacks. Those are, are mine. But if you ever, by the grace of God, get a chance to travel with them, Pastor Tom is the itinerary king. He just planned this entire trip out to the scent, and I just gave him money. And I'm like, you are amazing. Trip advisor got nothing on you. Like, but that, but that was a door that God opened. I couldn't have done that. I could have not have put that trip together on my own. I couldn't have afforded it on my own. God opened that door. I didn't get to speak at all these events simply because I'm talented, but it was by the grace of God and, and God miraculously opened doors where I wasn't even trying to walk through. Our ministries weren't healthy just because of, of themselves. Actually, I think sometimes they're healthy in spite of us. And our child is a testament to God's love and mercy not my own personal efforts. Why do I say all that? Well, let's go back to Deuteronomy. What is Moses reminding his people? Remember, he knows his people. Chapter 8, verse 10 through 14 says this. He says, when you have eaten your fill, right, talking about being in the promised land, be sure that you praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that your plenty Uh, Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands. Let me just pause there. Isn't that that true? We forget when we don't feel like we need God. When we're in our plenty, when everything's going good, when when, when money's coming in and we're getting promotions and jobs well and family's healthy and and everything's coming up, we, we really quickly start to drift away and forget God. And Moses is saying, listen, be careful. When everything's going good, that's the time that you need to be on watch right? Because it's in that time of plenty, beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. 
For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. And then a few verses later, verse 17 and 18, he says, he did all this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Be careful. Because when we start to remember and reflect the good in our lives, it's really easy to begin to give ourselves credit. See, when we fail to remember what God has done, we start to think we did it. When we fail to remember the things God has done, suddenly it becomes the things you have done. And when they become the things you have done, you start to believe that you don't need God anymore. That, oh, well, listen, I've made it this far on my own, and, and I've accomplished these things on my own. As if you made your own heartbeat, as if you woke yourself up every day, as if you're breathing because you want to, not because the grace of God allows you to. We have to be careful that we forget who we, whose we are, and we start to think that we're full of ourselves. This is why I like to have that personal time of memory, not just to have an attitude of gratitude, but to never forget where it comes from. That's why giving to me has never been difficult, because I understand that everything I have, I have from the Lord. And so if someone is in need, if there's an opportunity to give, if, if, if the Lord presses on my heart, I've never been one to say, I don't know, I'm not sure. Why? Because I remember every time that God's provided for me. I remember when I couldn't afford this dream trip to Japan that opened up and God started opening doors for all these speaking engagements that in one month provided everything I needed for that trip. I remember those things. See, see, I remember when there's these moments where, where God is asking me to sacrificially give to something and, and, and to provide to a ministry or to provide for missions and, and to give generously. And I'm sitting there crunching the numbers and I'm going, this doesn't make sense. And yet it didn't make sense the last time I gave in abundance. And God still provided above and beyond what I could ever think or imagine. See, when you remember what God has done in you, you remember that God can still do it for you. But then there's a key here. Because remember, even when it goes back, he said he did all this not just for you, but to fulfill the covenant he has in you. See, God doesn't bless you just for your own personal gain. It's his will because it's his desire because it's his purpose. And there was a reason, if you notice in Joshua chapter 4, on a couple of occasions at least, he tells them the reason for the monument. Obviously, it's to remember the things that God has done. But he's very specific on, on two occasions on, on what one of the byproducts or, or purposes behind the monument is. And if you notice what he says, he says this. He says, when your children look at that. On a couple of occasions, he mentions their children. If you're taking notes, the third thing is this. It's their reminder. It's about generational remembrance. What do I mean by that? I mean passing down what God has done to the next generation. Let me tell you another win that I'm very, very proud of from our church. Our children's ministry. 
last year in December, my wife and I, we were at a missions uh, conference and uh, speaking with Pastor Evelyn, we agreed to commit to a mission project where they would be raising money for a program called BGMC that would provide for an orphanage in the Philippines. And I remember talking to her and I'm saying, hey, listen, uh, we have to commit this amount, which was $6,500. Now, just to give you perspective on that, as a children's ministry, in the history of our church, we have never raised more than $2,000 for missions. And we're asking them to do triple that. And I think maybe it's Pastor Evelyn's naiveness in being new. She was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And so we signed them up. And then when they got into the thick of it, they realized, wow, this is a lot bigger than we thought it was going to be. But by the grace of God, they not only reached 6,500, but they did over 7,000 this year. Children. Babies. You want to know my favorite part? You want my favorite part? Uh, we kind of messed up on, in, our, in our communication. We had two years to raise that money. <laughs> we did it in one year. <laughs> we had two years and God did it in one year. Now, why is that important? Because we're teaching the next generation to be generous. We're teaching the next generation what God can do when you put him first. We're teaching our children, especially in Chicago. Listen, for years, I remember even when I was a teenager, there was a moment uh, where, where our leadership, we, we were handed this envelope for missions, and I said, hey, what do you want me to do with this? And they said, throw it in the trash. There was this mindset that you're poor Chicago kids, and, and they're on welfare, they're on food stamps, and, and you, you, know, you don't want to overtax them. They don't have anything. And, and I hated that mentality. Because it kept us in this poor, impoverished mentality as if the King of kings and the Lord of lords isn't over us as well. And as if he couldn't provide for us. And now our children understand we can raise $7,000. That's no problem. Of course we can. Of course we can. Why? Because we didn't do it. The Lord did it. The Lord opened those doors. The Lord provided. And it's our responsibility to teach that to these children because I guarantee you there is going to come a time and place where the world is going to come after the pocketbook of the church, where they're going to take away the tax exempts, where they're going to take away some of the benefits. And suddenly people are going to start to wonder, can I give anymore? Can we afford this building? But when you raise up generations that are full of generosity, they don't care. Take the tax exempt. Put me in that corner. We don't have to bow down because we only bow down to the Lord. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses again, verse 9 through 10. But watch out. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure, and be sure to pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai where he told me, summon the people before me and I will personally instruct them. They will learn to fear me as long as they live and they will teach their children to fear me also. And let me be clear, I'm not only speaking of biological children because this is our church, which means those are our kids, which means these are our teenagers. These are ours to raise up. And if you're sitting here and, and you have an issue with the, the generations and their behavior and their attitude, if you're one of those people that's like, oh, this generation is this and this generation is that, keep in mind, you raised them. Okay? They didn't raise themselves. 
Like, that's a, a product of what you did. But we have to get to a point where we stop subletting spiritual growth to the ministries in our church. Like, we're here to help, but you got to teach your kid how to read the Bible. We're, we're, we're here to help, but you got to teach your kids what it means to be morally right. Uh, we'd love to assist. We, we have plenty of volunteers uh, that are going to help and love on your children, but they got to see the example in you. Man, I love that this year we have seen more men serving in our children's ministry than ever before because many of these kids don't have father figures. They need to see a godly man doing godly things. This is why it's important. And listen, it doesn't mean they're your kids because they are our kids. And we have to step up and be that example for the next generation. I know I just had a child, but she ain't my first. I've raised up plenty of kids that have watched my life that have learned from my mistakes and learned from my triumphs, that have seen me and wanted to emulate the things that God has done in my life. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you sat down someone younger than you and just shared your story? Just told them what God had been doing in your life. Just said, hey, listen, did I ever tell you how I got saved? Did I, did I ever uh, explain to you what God did? Have I ever told you? Parents, when was the last time you sat your child down and said, hey, listen, I want to tell you the full story, the good, bad, and the ugly. I, I, want, to, I want you to really understand what God has done in my life. And some of us, we may shy away from that. We may think, ah, they, they probably don't want to hear that. Well, it doesn't matter if they want to hear it. Maybe they need to hear it. Maybe they need to know that mom and dad weren't perfect and that they struggled and that they had their own issues in their faith, but by the grace of God, he's helped them walk through it. Maybe they need to see it from you. And sometimes we're too scared to, to share. We're too embarrassed of, of the struggles that we have as if they don't point to God's glory. Can I be just transparent? I'm, I'm going to be, so it doesn't matter if you say yes or no. But... Several years ago, I remember we, we asked people to uh, submit their testimonies. To, 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 we want to know your stories. Tell us your stories. And in a church of almost 600, we got less than a dozen inquiries. What does that tell me? Either you don't know your story or you're just unwilling to share it. And we are robbing the next generation of being able to experience all the things God has done. Worship team, if you can help me out. These stone monuments, on a couple of occasions in Joshua chapter 4, you notice he says, when your children look at these stone monuments, they will be reminders of what God has done. It's not just enough to have the monuments. You need the reminder. On, on my travels, I've, I've been able to go to the UK on several occasions, and one of the uh, Biggest attractions in the UK is Stonehenge. Now, I'll be honest with you, I've never gone to Stonehenge, and I never wanted to. I never bothered with it. Because to me, it's a dumb, <laughs> it's a dumb thing to look at. Because one, you can't even go up to it. You have to see it from like the road. It's like this giant barrier. And then you get there, and it's just, it's just rocks. And so you wonder, well, why is it such a big attraction? They're just stones. Well, the novelty of it, is that no one really knows why they're there. People have guesses and, and they estimate, but here are these giant stone slabs that are unnatural to that area that have brought there and they're, and they're put in, in a certain formation for a certain reason. 
but nobody knows the reason. And because no one knows the reason, it's like, ooh, how mysterious. Maybe aliens did it. Maybe druids did it. There's all these wonders in it. But it's not a monument. It's a tourist attraction. It doesn't remind you of anything because it has no memory to it. We need to be careful that this church starts becoming a tourist attraction and no longer a monument. That when people walk in here, they're reminded of God's goodness, not just attracted at God's show. We are the church. We have to be those living stones that continue to talk about the things that God has done. In Joshua chapter 4, over and over again, they are told, remember, remember. In Deuteronomy, all throughout the book, over and over again, Moses is telling them, remember, remember. And in both those books, on several occasions, they're saying, pass it on to your children. Pass it on to your children. But listen, in Judges chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done in Israel. So this is two generations. But then if you go to a couple verses later, verse 10. After that generation died, the second generation, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done in Israel. They say the third generation loses a native language. Many of you who are in here, especially if you're Hispanic, you've been yelled at by an old Hispanic person for not knowing Spanish. And if you're in that camp, you know your, your immediate thought is, that's not my fault. They didn't teach me Spanish, <laughs> right? And I always hear parents, they didn't want to learn. Shut up. Who wants to learn anything? Like you teach them, <laughs> right? But, but we, we have this understanding that that's, that's not my fault. That was the previous generation. And listen, I know it's hard by the third generation because they're, they're covered in this whole world now that speaks English and television is all in English and they're just surrounded by English. But you know, I love what my older sister did. She understood the world was going to teach them English, no problem. So at home, everything was in Spanish. At home, all their Disney movies they watched were in Spanish. So much so that one time my niece, she was at one of her friend's house and they were watching one of her favorite Disney movies and she goes up to her mom, she goes, Mom, it's broken, because it was in English. <laughs> Why did she go through that? Because she understood it's my responsibility to teach her the language. They'll learn everything else in the world but I have to take responsibility to pass down what's been passed to me. If we forget whose we are, we'll forget who we are. If we forget to pass this down, if we forget to live it out loud, if we forget to share our story, and that's what you're called to do. You can't save anybody, but you can share your story. You can't change anybody within your own strength, but your story can. Because it's not a story of your triumph, it's a story of God's goodness. When was the last time you remembered your story enough to share it? Like I said, next week we're going to be starting a new series on 2020 Vision, and we're hoping that you can see clearly who God has called us to be here at Belmont Assembly of God. That you would understand that we're not here just to be an attraction, that we're not here just to fulfill some weird godly checklist for you to mark off and say, I went to church. 
but we're here to testify to the goodness of the ever-living God, to be a place where people will find community, hope, and love in Jesus, to change the next generation beginning with ours. So I'm gonna ask you to stand right where you're at. We're gonna get ready to close in a time of worship. And here's my challenge for you as we get ready to close. I'm gonna ask you just a few moments while they play in the background, would you close your eyes for me? And this is just a moment of reflection, but I'm talking to you, believer. We're getting to the end of this year, 2019. And I'm sure a lot of things have happened to you. I'm sure you've gone through a lot of situations. I'm sure there's been a lot of difficulties. But can we take the next two, three minutes and can we allow the Holy Spirit to remind us of God's faithfulness, corporately and personally? Think about it. What has God done for you personally? How has God made a way for you personally? And listen, I know for some of us this is hard because we're constantly thinking negatively. We're constantly thinking about what's not happening. We're thinking about the fact that, that I don't have the job I wanted. Yes, but you have a job. Oh, well, yeah, but you know, uh, my, my, my kids, they, they, don't, they don't have their, their parent in their life. That's just, just me. Yes, but they have you. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. Yeah, I, I haven't achieved what I wanted to achieve in my career. Yes, but you have a place to sleep. You have clothes on your back. Your, your children are fed. You, you're doing something. God is doing something. So let's take the time to, to reflect, to, to, to remember, to be reminded that God has been faithful, that God has been loving, that God has been caring, that God has not abandoned you, that God has not forgotten you, that God has not rid of you, that he is continually serving and providing for you. Come on, let's reflect on that. And as you begin to reflect on that, I want to ask you to respond. Reflect and respond, reflect and respond. As you begin to be reminded of God's goodness, as you begin to be reminded of God's faithfulness, would you begin to respond in your own words? Would you begin to respond in your own actions? Would you begin to tell God how good he is? Would you begin to remind the Lord how grateful you are? Would you begin to testify to his goodness? Come on, believers. Come on, believers. I don't want to be ashamed of my gratitude. I don't want to be embarrassed to love you, Lord. I don't want to be silent when it comes time to brag on you, God. I want to need the world to know. I need this room to know. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for this reminder today, God. And Lord, I'm sorry for those moments where we've forgotten. I'm sorry for those moments where we've taken you for granted, where we, we thought things were happening in our own strength and in our own abilities. And God, I'm sorry for those moments where we spent more time thinking about what didn't happen instead of acknowledging what has occurred in you. And Lord, as we stand on the precipice of this new year, God, as, as we get ready to, to have all these new excitement and, and, and take on these new challenges, Lord, I pray just like the nation of Israel, as they were getting ready to take the promised land, you took time to remind them that you conquered Egypt, that you parted the Red Sea, that you parted the Jordan River, that you fed them in the desert, 
that you provided light by day and night, that you have been there every step of the way and you will continue to be there for us every step of the way. So Lord, we give 2020 to you, God. We commit it to you, Lord. And Lord, we give it as a testimony to your goodness so that at the end of next year, we can once again say, look how good my God is. Look at what my God has done. We give you all the honor, Lord, and all the praise. And we do it all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you on Wednesday.